Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. If you've ever been betrayed by your spouse, you know how isolating and confusing it can be. It's hard to open up to other people. It's hard to want to share your stuff with others just in case it might work out. It's also embarrassing, humiliating, and sometimes you even blame yourself. There's just so much confusion and chaos that happens when there's a deep betrayal like this. Today, I wanted to introduce you to a guest of mine who went through really her worst case scenario. Everything she imagined could go wrong went wrong in her relationship. And so she ended up dealing with a lot of addiction, abuse in her marriage, ultimately divorced her husband. And then later on, as they were getting divorced, he committed suicide. Her story is tragic. It's painful to listen to. But the reason I brought her on was because she's such an incredible example of resilience, hope, faith, hard work, and just not giving up on the potential for joy and growth and healing in the wake of all of this tragedy. Stories are such a powerful way for us to gain courage and hope in the darkest of circumstances. Her story can be validating and help people feel oriented and maybe even feel connected that maybe they're not alone and maybe that they can also endure something very difficult and have some hope on the other end of it. Of course, not all marriages can survive, especially when there's abuse and addiction and very difficult things. Safety is so critical, especially when there's children involved. We have to make sure we protect the innocent. But at the same time, no matter what happens to your relationship, you can heal. You can heal. That's what matters. That is well within your control. And that's really the message of my guest today. Her name is Kim. And I learned about her story through some personal relation, other connections that I have. And I just was so touched by it and just so inspired by her energy and her faith and just who she is as a person. I thought it was important for me to share this with all of you. She's a great example of what we call post-traumatic growth where there's hope and optimism and through hard work and faith and reaching out and good boundaries and just getting back up and trying again, good things can happen. Of course, her healing path, like everyone's, is not a straight line. It's not linear. There's plenty of ups and downs, setbacks, disappointments, lots of spinning in circles. But she does tell her story with great hope and optimism that there is healing no matter what happens to you. I bring her on the podcast today so you can feel encouraged and supported for one, that you're not alone and that you can survive and thrive even if your worst case scenario happens to you. I'm so honored to have Kim on the podcast today for her to trust all of us with her story, her willingness to share this important story of her faith, her resilience and healing with all of you. So let me jump into my interview with Kim. Well, Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So good to have you here. Thanks. 
I have so many women that I work with who really want to know that there is an actual light at the end of the tunnel. And even though everything around them suggests that their life is going to be over and horrible and that nothing's ever going to get better, I love knowing about your story and I, I'm excited to share it with my listeners because you have a mixture of both. There were some things that the unthinkable, that th- things that you thought would never happen that happened, but then you also kept going and you're okay. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. Right. And, and I just love knowing that there's a first person account of, of someone who's been through a lot and is still going through a lot to sort through and just really has a lot of clarity about what that journey looks like and what it takes. Because I think women need examples and models and encouragement and validation. Yep. And, and not just a bunch of book information. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes. So let's start at the beginning. I'd love for my listeners to really get to know you and your background and really just walk us through your story. Sure. Okay. Um, a little bit of background is I'm one of nine kids. I was raised in the foothills of Mount Rainier in Washington State. To not give too much back information, I graduated high school at 17 and went to BYU-Idaho. My first week there, I met the person that I would marry two years later. So it was just before I turned 20, I got married. Okay. And we got sealed in the Portland Temple and we start our life together. And there were so many things at that time that I didn't perceive as red flags. Okay. And I think the reason for that was because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what was important to me and I didn't have a ton of self-worth or I didn't really think very highly of myself. And that you're also young. I was super young. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was really young. I mean, that's a pretty young age. Yeah. And I, while we were dating, we didn't make some good decisions. We had sex before we were married. We then went and talked to the bishop and went through the whole process of becoming worthy to be sealed in the temple. But I was already fighting with myself in I felt worthless. Mm. And I felt like God was so disappointed in me because how could I do that? Wow. I was raised in a very strict LDS home where I knew better. I knew the truth and what I should have been doing, but I still was tempted and I still made those choices. I was fighting with myself and he kind of fed into that. You're right. Nobody else is going to love you. Nobody else is going to take care of you the way that I can. And so we did end up getting married. So those things were actually explicitly said to you. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And that was for me, I was taught in young women's, if you have sex before you're married, no one's going to love you and you're a ruined flower and all those things oh that they tell young women. And so I knew I was a ruined flower. I knew that nobody else was going to love me because I was unclean. So he really like, you opened up in your vulnerability and your, your, you know, your sadness, your fear, your shame around all that. Mm-hmm. And it became something that for him was almost like a leverage point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really? And he was like, yeah, you're right. Nobody's going to love you as much as I do. And I, we do this because I love you. And anyway. so harmful, so confusing. Yeah. At that age. Wow. And I just didn't know. I didn't know better. Yeah. I believed him because that's, those are my thoughts already. So we got married. We had four kids in eight years and we were living life, but it was a really hard and difficult life. There was a lot of manipulation and my voice didn't matter. If I had an opinion about something, we would argue until my opinion matched his or until I gave up because it wasn't worth the fight. Right. So I just spent so much time just feeling lost or overpowered or helpless because it didn't matter what I wanted or... Like it was that felt. strong. So strong. Yeah. We had a conversation before we were married. We were engaged mm-hmm. and I was having already kind of second thoughts. And I said, I do want to raise my family in the church. We're going to do 
family home evening and scripture study and the kids are going to go to seminary and mutual. And I need to make sure that if we're getting married, that we're on the same page and that you're going to support this church heavy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And he told me, of course, absolutely. That's what I want to. It was very shortly after we got married that he refused to do scripture study with me or pray with me or go to the temple or all those things. And he was like, no, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Why would I do that? And so it was just a very manipulative, even beginning. And like, then- Wow. It's like, I mean, some people talk about like the bait and switch and mm -hmm. and for you, it was really stark. Like it was- oh, absolutely. It wasn't just kind of fading out of it. It was very much like really ne probably never had intentions to oh, carry on with that. And right? I realized that, but at that time we were married and sealed in the temple. And I was also taught once you're sealed in the temple, like marriage is forever and divorce is bad. And you don't want to be like, you can't go through a divorce if you're Mormon, right? Like, and that's at that really young age, I believed that. Mm -hmm. So then I just stayed because I didn't want that to be my story. I didn't want to be the divorced Mormon with the kids and the kids having split homes. And so I just stayed. And mm -hmm. I knew that it was really hard for me, but I was able to justify myself into staying because like he was a good dad and he would do, he would play with the kids and hang out with them and he would tuck them in at night. And it's better that the kids have a dad than, than I have a happy marriage. So we're just, I'm just going to stick it through. I'm going to take one for the team. Yep. Just so my kids have stability, which I think, you know, this decision is so personal and so complicated because when you do have innocent victims like your children who have absolutely cannot do anything about this, you know, it's a huge internal battle. I hear this all the time. Mm -hmm. And I made my choice. Yeah. I knew the choices that I made before I got married. I knew who I was marrying, I thought. Mm -hmm. And so, and I knew that marriage was hard. I knew that you weren't, it wasn't supposed to be fun or easy. You're supposed to work through it. And so this was what I knew I had to work through. So you already came in believing, like you had messages knowing that marriage takes work and we're going to work together and things like this. But I'm guessing you probably didn't have any sort of a range of like, like where it crosses over into like abuse no idea. Right. It was like, mm -hmm. this is just the normal. This is my hard. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? I said that all the time. This is my version of hard. This is okay. So I, I can do this. Yep. This is just my hard and I'll just work through it. Mm -hmm. But you didn't realize really, you know, because again, it's kind of like the frog in the pot, right? You don't realize how bad it's getting. I use that analogy all the time too, that boiled frog yeah. analogy. Yep. And you didn't know. And it wasn't terrible at the beginning. It was uncomfortable and it was arguing and, but it, it wasn't. I don't believe super early it was abusive. However, over time, it absolutely got, it crossed those lines and those boundaries and it got worse and it got abusive. But I, even then, because of that slowly boiled frog scenario, I didn't know and I couldn't see yeah. it or realize it. Yeah. So early on, you're, it was kind of this collision of these unhealthy beliefs that you had about yourself, about God, about your commitments and just how all this is supposed to work mm -hmm. that really sort of collided with you know, his stuff, which mm -hmm. is, I'll do whatever I want. I'll get my way. Yep. You know, basically I'll take advantage of someone who's really open and vulnerable. Yep. <laughs> right. I mean, you were just kind of an open book and trying to work through this. Yeah. And, and so that, that was almost like the perfect storm in a way. Mm -hmm. And I am a very forgiving person. I'm a very understanding person and I'm a very loyal person. Like if you're struggling, I want to support you. I want to help you. I want to be the one that is your supporter. Yeah. And your confidant. So he mm -hmm. would be struggling and he would come to me and say, Hey, I'm struggling. And be like, Okay, we'll do this and we'll get through this. And I will be the one to change. I will be the one to support you, even though I wasn't the one making dumb choices. Got it. So he was really good at making me feel like it was my fault. And I was the one that, that needed to make the difference so that we could be happy. 
Wow. So all this was going on early on, like you said, it wasn't the patterns were being put in place there. There are a lot of dynamics that you look back now and you're like, whoa, yeah, like red flag, (laughs) not healthy. Yep. Obviously, wish I would have had more clarity about that, but you're young and you're in the middle of this and you've got kids and there's a lot of split attention and you're just trying to survive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we were married for 13 and a half years before I finally knew it was time. And the spirit was like, you're done. This is it. And so Kim, how did you know? Like I get asked this all this time and (laughs) I get every situation is so personal and no person can decide for another person when they're, Mm -hmm. when they hit their limit. But for you, in your own story, what was that process like? There had been probably three times in my marriage where I was Googling divorce. Like, how do you get divorced? And what do the divorce papers look like? And every time I would pray about it and think about it, and I felt the spirit telling me, just be patient. And so I would be patient and I'd be like, okay, well, maybe I'm not supposed to get divorced. Maybe I'm going to be with him forever. Over time, he started spiraling more and more. He started making a lot more worse choices. And he started being gone more. He started bringing things home more. He was no longer hiding the things that he had been hiding for a long time. And he was starting to get more dangerous. There were things that he was doing that I absolutely knew that my kids being raised by a father that treated his wife that way, I didn't want my kids to learn those lessons. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was going to be healthier and better for my sons if they were raised by in a split home where I could teach them the gospel and then they could have the separation of that, of the two parents, then me condoning their father's behavior by staying married to him. Mm-hmm. And my kids were young, but I knew that it was better for my kids if we weren't still married because of the example that he was setting. Mm-hmm. So it, get, it got to the point where I was getting scared. And I was unable to, I would come home and I would leave the kids in the car and I would say, okay, everybody clean up 10 things in the car before you come inside, like granola bar wrappers or whatever, like clean it up before you come inside. And I would have to run in the house to make sure that the scene inside was safe for the kids to come into. So. Wow. So you just never knew what you were walking in I never knew what I was walking in on. I didn't know. I didn't know. And it was really terrifying. Yeah. So there was one conversation that we were having at night and the kids were sleeping. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was just about to graduate with his doctorate. And he was telling me, I'm not going to pursue a degree in this. I'm just going to go live out in the wilderness and forage and whatever. And I'll just come home and you can be here to... I was working full time and raising the kids while he was in doctorate school, in graduate school. So I was like doing everything. And he's like, we're just going to keep doing this. And I'm going to go pursue my passions instead of follow my career. But we were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I didn't want to keep working full-time and raising the kids full-time and doing everything on my own while he was off living his best life. And so there was a conversation that we had at night and he was drunk and he was belligerent. And I, the spirit just exploded in, inside of me and said, now is the time. Mm. Like, you're done. You don't have to do this anymore. And I think it was so obvious in that moment I say it was the spirit yelling inside of me and I really like screaming at me. And I really believe that that's true. But I think the spirit was confirmation of something that I already knew. I already knew that was the best choice. And I already knew that that's what I needed to do. But in in that conversation, I finally had the clarity and the knowledge that this was not okay anymore. Mm -hmm. So like undeniable, undeniable in that moment. Mm -hmm. Did it surprise you? No, no. Okay. Mm -mm. 
I had been fighting it for a while. I still was fighting those previous notions of, I don't want to be that divorced woman. And I don't want my kids to be raised in the church, but from a divorced family and kind of all the, that stigma of all of it. I didn't want that for my kids. But I was, it was to the point where I just realized like all of that is better than what we're living right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like there were so many rules and expectations and beliefs that, you know, that you were battling against a lot of this time. Yeah. And it was hard to, it was made it difficult to see things clearly, which is all of us, right? Mm-hmm. We all have beliefs and programming and, and expectations from our different cultures, our family, our community. And for you, it was really difficult to see clearly what was right in front of you mm-hmm. because of all these other messages that were saying, well, but there's this and I'll consider this. And, and well, it's just hard to sift through it all. And he was really good at kind of manipulating my perception. I was absolutely being gaslighted. Mm. And on top, wow. So that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there were things that we would have conversations and I would be like, well, this is what needs to change. And it would be the gaslighting and the manipulation. And he would convince me that I didn't say something that I did say or that I did say something that I didn't say. And so then I was the one that's like, wait, am I crazy? Like what just happened? But he convinced me in these conversations to be the one to apologize, to be the one to say, yeah, I'm going to change or I'm going to fix this when I wasn't the one out getting drunk or not coming home for days on end or... Like I was the one that was home holding everything together, but I still felt guilty. Mm-hmm. I still felt like I was the one making the bad choices. Not doing enough. or Yeah. And it was my fault mm-hmm. that he was going out and doing those things. And he convinced me that that was true. Yeah. And so then it was that like, okay, well, we're sealed in the temple. So, and we have four kids together. So I'm going to do what I can to keep this marriage together. Wow, Kim, that's so much to sort through. Yeah. So much to just process. And like, that's almost like a full-time job trying to keep your head straight. Uh-huh. I had for years, I don't know if you've ever been boogie boarding, but uh-huh. sometimes you can go boogie boarding and then you get caught in the wave yeah. and you just spiral for a minute uh, and you yes. wait for your head to surface. Uh-huh. I felt like I was under that wave for a decade. Oh my God. And I didn't feel like I could just lay on the beach and breathe. And that's the desperation that I felt like I just need oxygen. Uh. And for for a long time, I felt like I was just trying to keep my head above water and just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And I could didn't have any footing. I didn't have any grounding. There was nothing that was stable or secure or constant except for my savior. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing. I did have my family and my support system and friends and there were all those things which are really important too. But as, as far as like who I was and my self-worth and my, that journey in my marriage, like I was lost for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to that moment and we'll, we'll talk more about, about that. There's a lot of places we could go with this, but I, I'd like to go back to that moment where you realized, okay, I, I can be done. Like this is, this is like over. Yeah. So what happened after that? Because that's, that's a huge moment. So we were living in Hawaii at the time where he was going to graduate school and he was a month away from graduation. Oh, wow. So we had family coming into town and lots of stuff happening. Our son was just about to get baptized. And so even though we were separated, we still lived in the same house because a month later we were moving off island. Mm. So, but we were just trying to like sell everything and tie up loose ends and... We had lived there for four years. So there was a lot to do before we could move. So let's go back to that moment of when you got that confirmation that you were done, that you didn't have to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? In that moment, the spirit like exploded inside of me of you're done. And I interrupted his sentence and I said, I'm done. Oh, wow. And he said, you're done with what? This conversation? I was like, nope, I'm done with this marriage. 
He's like, what? You can't leave me. You wouldn't do that. And I just was like, nope, I'm done. Like, and I, I don't honestly even remember what I did in that moment. I don't remember if I went for a drive. I don't remember if I went to bed. I, I just remember that conversation was over and I knew without a doubt that our marriage was over. And I felt so much peace. I have never before then felt that much peace before. Mm-hmm. And I felt so much almost joy and elation. And I felt like a helium balloon had been cut from the string and was finally able to be free. And that next week, for me, that feeling stayed. I felt joy and peace and happiness and not like giddiness, like I wasn't giddy to be getting a divorce, but I knew my spirit was rejoicing that I no longer had to be in this. But I also knew that it was going to be a very difficult journey ahead of me, which was terrifying. That moment, that week was the hardest week simultaneously up to that point that I had ever experienced. There was a suicide attempt on his behalf. There was abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, mental. The kids were, I had to take them to friends' houses because it wasn't safe for them to be home. So that I told him on a Monday night. So this was the, this was the week following you telling yes. him you were done. Yeah. Things just exploded. exploded. He became violent, explosive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my. And, but we also had family coming into town. Like that, th- this was Monday night and Saturday people were coming into town. Oh my gosh. So we're trying to sort through all of this. We're having conversations. He's trying to convince me to stay and also telling me, I know you don't actually have the courage to leave. I know that you'll stay. So let's figure this out because we know you're not actually going to leave. And that just kind of fueled my stubbornness. Like, okay, well, I already know that I'm leaving, but now I'm just going to prove it to you even more. And so I started making plans and I found an apartment in Washington where we were going to be moving. And I did what I could to just really let him know that I'm serious. It was Friday that then he was like, okay, well, maybe I Maybe I do want to believe in the gospel because he had been inactive and was not making good choices. Maybe I do want to give up drinking and all these other things that I'm doing. And maybe I do want to believe in the gospel. And so he met with our stake president and started like really turning his life around, seemingly. Like he seemed to be really turning his life around because he thought, I believe, he thought that that would convince me to stay. And he Mm -hmm. literally said to my face, I'm finally the person that you always wanted me to be. So now can't you stay? And I was like, no, I can't because I know that he was so cyclical. He would Mm -hmm. show me what I wanted to see to get what he wanted. And then he would cycle right back to who he was. So I wasn't going to fall for that anymore. So I still left. It was a month later after graduation and we sold everything that I moved back to Washington State. And he also moved back to Washington State, but about four hours south of us. We got our own tiny little apartment and we just started picking up the pieces. However, getting divorced from a narcissist is not an easy feat. So what followed was domestic violence multiple times. Even though you guys were living separately. Mm -hmm. Because he still got to see the kids. So we would like travel every other weekend so that he could have the kids. And he would sometimes travel all the way up and we would sometimes travel all the way down. And sometimes we'd meet halfway in the middle. But there was domestic violence, restraining orders, violations of restraining orders, jail time, suicide attempts, Emails, texts, like the next 19 months were absolutely torturous and miserable. And they were so unsettling and so uncertain. And I, again, just felt like my world was spiraling out of control. I didn't have any way to anticipate what was going to happen the next day. Our divorce, because we had been living in a different state, we couldn't even start the divorce process for six months. 
Oh my. Because we had to wait to get like state jurisdiction. So because of that, we couldn't get a parenting plan. So there were no rules about who got the kids when. So he technically could come pick the kids up from school without me knowing it. And wow. So you just had to just sort of play this by ear and figure out how to coordinate with somebody who was super unstable. Mm-hmm. Wow. And would, again, still just be so manipulative and yeah. would flat out tell me, if you divorce me, I'm going to make your life as miserable as possible. And if you try to fight me on this, then I'm going to win and it, at all costs. And there were threats and it was so dark and so scary. And the kids were there for these conversations. The kids heard the threats and the... Really? Yeah. And so they were coming to me like, mom, what's wrong? What's happening? What's going on? And they're so scared. And he tried kidnapping them. And so he was being really aggressive with them and they had to stand up to him. And there were just so many terrifying, I won't go into details, but so many terrifying experiences that the kids were all very much a part of. And there were so many times where I was like, this can't actually be my life. Like how I did everything right. I was raising my kids in the gospel. I was, I had a testimony. I was taking them to church every Sunday on my own. Like how did we get to this dark and scary and totally unpredictable place? Well, and especially when, you know, I'm sure it was so confusing because here you were creating more distance mm -hmm. with him, you know, moving away from him, four hours away, and obviously had moments where things were probably peaceful, where you didn't have to look over your shoulder, but there's that constant threat all the time mm -hmm. that like you're not safe. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you couldn't get away from the the threats and the darkness and the control. Right. And in, in my- fact, made it worse. It made it worse. Yeah. And I had never been more scared in my whole life. Even when he was scary to be living with, it was so much worse because there was enough terrifying things that happened that it wasn't just affecting my conscious. It was my subconscious. So I'm having nightmares every single night oh, yeah. of what could happen. And totally. the kids are coming to me, waking up all of the time with nightmares. And it was absolutely terrifying. And we just, we didn't know what to do. We just clung together. And the boys and I were just one little unit that we were clinging to each other because all of us were so scared and they didn't know what to anticipate with their dad. and if he was just going to show up or when they were going to see him again, or some of them did want to see him and some of them didn't want to see him. And so how do you navigate when there's no parenting plan with the law, then that we didn't have anything to, there were no boundaries. There was nothing that we could be like, okay, this is your weekend. This is my weekend. It was just whatever he wanted, he got to take. And that was, it was really, really hard. Hmm. So we went through the divorce process and mediation and there was a guardian ad litem who's essentially an attorney for the kids. And right. so she interviewed hundreds of hours of people on both, of, both sides of our story, of our both sides, to figure out the best living situation for the kids. And she determined that I was the more fit parent to have the kids full-time, full custody, and he had to have professionally supervised visits. So the kids got to go be with oh, him. What a relief. Yeah. Huge relief. That he couldn't manipulate them. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it was slowly getting better and the divorce was finally coming to a close. We finally had everything figured out and settled. And on November 24th, two days before Thanksgiving of 2020, he committed suicide. Wow. This was a couple of weeks before the divorce was officially finalized. We were just waiting for the judge's signature. and that totally rocked our worlds. The boys especially were so confused and so hurt and so sad. And 
that's really hard to wrap your heads around when you're the kids were between the ages of seven and 13. And so that's just big for those kids. And they, the last year and a half or two years weren't full of positive memories and experiences of him. And so they were like, they did feel relief because the fear was gone, but they were so sad because their dad was gone. Oh, yeah. And they were like, well, he's not going to see me drive. He's not going to see me go to prom. He's not going to see me go on my mission. Like, he's not going to be here. And that was so because they always knew he would get better. Like, this is dead sick right now, but he's going to get better. Yeah. And so. Yeah, they had every reason in the world to want this to work out. Oh, absolutely. For him, right. It's their dad. Yeah. And they didn't know about the previous attempts. They didn't know how they knew their own personal experiences. But I did a really good job at protecting them mm-hmm. from the real they didn't the know reality. How bad it was. They had no idea. And from my perspective, I had mourned the loss of him a long time ago. I had grieved the loss of that marriage and that relationship a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a very interesting experience because the biggest emotion that I felt was relief. And I had a five-year-long restraining order. I never had to talk to him again. And I felt relief in that. And so this now was like a permanent restraining order. And that was really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that that's what I felt, that the emotion that I felt around his passing was relief. Mm -hmm. That you don't have to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I felt guilty for a long time that that was my emotion around it. But it was so terrifying. Like every day I was living in so much fear and I didn't have to anymore. But I'm still helping my kids process the grief of their father and the loss of their father. And I'm having to empathize with them and love them and support them and let them grieve and let them cry. And I was so happy to be that for them. But it was in such contrast, our emotions were all, I mean, yeah, it was such a big emotional situation and it still is. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, each kid is going to have their own experience with it based on their age and what they saw, their experiences, who they are. I mean, there's yeah. just, you know, but for you to be able to support them now that you've got peaceful conditions mm-hmm. is probably so much easier mm-hmm. than trying to do it in a war zone. Yes. Well, and they very much got two sides to the story. They heard my, when they asked me questions, I gave them my answers. And when they asked dad questions, they, he gave his answers, but the answers weren't cohesive. Oh, I'm sure. They weren't the same. And so when your eight-year-old child comes to you and says, I don't like talking to him because I feel darkness. I don't feel like the words coming out of his mouth are true. You feel gratitude that your eight-year-old can perceive the spirit. Right. Like, okay, thank you for listening to that. Totally. But it was a very, I don't know, it's even still just a very hard thing to to go through. So after his suicide, after his death, you know, you're now, like you said, you can finally breathe again. Yeah. Coming out of the the spin cycle from the waves there. Yeah. And now like the future's wide open now. Mm-hmm. And you've got to obviously pick up the pieces with your kids and so on. So Take me through the rest today. Where are you at now? And then, and then we'll go back and really talk about the lessons you've learned, how you kept going, because obviously there's, there's so much to sort through. And I'm sure if my listeners could ask you questions right now, there'd be so many, mm-hmm. right? So let's go ahead and take us to the present now. Sure. Today, I am a newlywed. I am very happily married. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I have additional two stepdaughters okay. and we are very happy. It's mm. been... We're blending our families and figuring out how to make everything work, but it's a really exciting and fun journey. And although it's still, there's still hard days and there's still trials in life and we're still healing and we're still grieving and we're still kind of going through 
these process, which I think will be forever, of especially the kids. But we get to be happy in our trials. And even on our hardest days, we're like, yeah, but this hard day is so much easier than previous hard days. Mm -hmm. So we get to just kind of sink into them a little bit and just be like, okay, what's our what's our learning experience? Like, what are we going to learn from this? And the mm -hmm. boys have so much resilience and and are able to just really live life right now to their fullest. We're all kind of thriving and loving and happy. And yeah, life is really good for I'm us. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Like, really? I mean, Thank my you. goodness, what a contrast. So this marriage is nothing like. No, <laughs> it is. Nothing is similar. Nothing. It's so amazing. There's encouraged conversation and what's your opinion and how do you feel about this? And I'm allowed to be triggered or in a bad mood or whatever. And I'm supported in that. And I'm encouraged to process it and work through it. And hey, let's figure this out together instead of being blaming or shaming or mm -hmm. frustrated or angry or right. Know, it's just very, it's very healthy and very beautiful in a way that I didn't know was possible. Yeah. So. There's not the selfishness, the separate lives, the, the yeah. hiding. I mean, mm -hmm. all those things that were just constantly that you were up against all the yeah. time. Yep. Just not there. Yeah. So we still have hard days and hard sure. moments and things that we're, we work through, but we're a team and our whole family's a team. And that's what's great. <laughs> You're probably like, this was the hard I thought I was signing up for. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is like the hard work that I'm willing to do, which is two different people, backgrounds, families, kids, you know, just the, the regular sort of friction that we all just mm -hmm. have trying to build a life together, but not trying to survive and stay alive and mm -hmm. like not feel crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like that's not the hard you were signing yeah. up for. And now in hindsight, I see how abusive and how toxic that previous relationship was. But in it, I had no idea. Yeah, it's so hard to see. I didn't know any different. I didn't know. Right. It was just normal yeah. to you. And it's not like you're out, you know, comparing notes with everybody else's marriages and trying to get a baseline on what's normal right. or whatever. You're just living it. And especially once you have kids, like you kind of turn inward and you're trying to take care of your people. And it's just a really hard thing to sort through. Yeah. So now you have not only safety, but tremendous support and growth and a life that's just so much more rich and open to you than you probably ever imagined ever would imagined. be possible. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. Especially in your darker days. Mm -hmm. And of course, that allows you to reflect and look back and put together lessons. And so I know, I know in preparation for our discussion today, I'd asked you to kind of think through really about just your own journey of growth, even in the trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, of course, the post-traumatic growth. I really want you to talk about looking back, like how, you know, I think people just would want to know, I want to know, like, how'd you do it? Right. How'd you do it? How did you get from slowly having this, this darkness just start to want to take you over and almost destroy you and physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, like try and just take you out. And how did you do it? How did you stay clear enough to keep moving, protect your kids and get to safety? I think my biggest motivator was my children. The biggest reason was my children. I knew that I wasn't living life for myself. I was living life for my kids. And I wanted to teach them through example. Like you are going to, going to go through hard things and experience hard things. And how do I want them to react in those situations? And so I, and I knew I was being watched. So setting an example for them and being kind and not being vindictive or hurtful, even though they would ask me flat out, like, I just saw what dad did to you. Why are you not angry at him? And I, I was angry. <laughs> I was so mad, but I wouldn't show them that. I knew I had to hold it together for my children and I knew that they were watching. But the reason why I was able to do that was because of my faith. I had my savior and I knew that time was going to pass. Whether my divorce took six months or six years, I knew that time was going to pass. And I didn't 
at the end of my journey, want to have to put my life back together. I wanted to be able to use this time with my Savior to strengthen my testimony, to find peace in Him. Where am I going to find refuge amongst the chaos other than in my Savior? And I knew that's what I had to focus on. So I was more diligent in come follow me and family prayer and family scripture study and doing the things that I knew that I needed to do. And then it was in those darkest moments that I was able to feel the spirit and feel the comfort, even though there weren't answers. At that time, there were not answers to the questions that I had, but I knew I wasn't alone. I had my savior right there next to me saying, it's okay, I have a plan for you. And even on those dark days, I knew that this was only temporary. And whether temporary is in this life or the next life, sometimes we don't know, but I knew that eventually somehow, some way I would be able to get through it. Oh, wow. And I think one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of faith. And I was able to have faith in my Savior even during those dark times. Another huge thing was my support system. I had my family and my friends and my ward and people that really helped our family and reached out to us and supported us when, when we really needed them. My other biggest reason why I was able to move forward was my desire and my motivation. I had a desire to not let this defeat me. I had a desire to not be the victim or not be the person that someone else was able to control my life. And now I'm in this situation because of someone else's choices and actions. The greatest gift that God has given us is our agency. And I wanted to use my agency to end up where I wanted to be despite my circumstances. And I didn't want my kids and me to end up in a place where we were disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Kim, that's such an, I I love what you're saying. Sorry to interrupt you. I I, I just, I'm thinking like, wow, like he's making these choices that's taking you guys for a ride and it's going in a direction that is so destructive. Mm -hmm. And yet in in your healthy marriage, your new marriage, Mm -hmm. you're talking about agency as something that like is being nurtured Mm -hmm. and respected and questioned. and, And, you know, it's like collaborative. Yeah. Like, how do you want things to go? Well, how do you want things to go? Like, it's just this conversation. And so you don't have to like get into this mindset of like, well, I'm just going to take my life where I want to go. I can't care about what you're doing because in your first marriage, he was using his ability to choose, to choose a life that was anti-family, anti-marriage. Like he was, he was working against all of you all the time. Mm -hmm. And so for you, the clarity of saying, wait, I get to choose too, like, I'd love to be able to choose and work together and collaborate and create something, co-create something together. Mm-hmm. But you got to a point where part of what saved you was embracing the fact that you don't have to be on his train. Exactly. You can choose. Yes. And even in that the period of the divorce, it was my agency and how I got to choose what I could control. I could control the atmosphere in my home. I could control the way that my kids saw me react to hard days. I could control how diligent I was in going to church. Those were things I could control. Mm-hmm. And so those were the things that I absolutely took power over. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. And in return, Heavenly Father blessed me so much with comfort and like the bishop that I had and living close to my parents and my family where they were able to support me. And I absolutely saw more miracles in that time than I've ever seen before or since. And I think it's because we can, it's easier to perceive the miracles amongst trial, yeah. then if life is perfect and great, it's hard to see the miracles. It's yeah. just like another good day. Yeah. Well, it's remarkable too, that, you know, you didn't have clear answers along, like you just didn't have, like Not you couldn't all. see mm-hmm. what was going to happen. There were no guarantees of anything. The only thing that you knew for sure was that you were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I that, didn't know and that you weren't alone. Yeah. 
I didn't know how long that was going to be. Am I going to be okay in a week or in 10 years? I don't know. Wow. But I have hope and faith that someday I will be okay. My dad gave me a, a priesthood blessing. And in the blessing, it said that Heavenly Father is aware of you and your life will be more beautiful than you can imagine. And in that moment, I couldn't imagine a beautiful life. It wasn't something that I could even comprehend. But just the thought of it was like, okay, okay, I know this is worth it. It's so worth it. You held on, on to those things. You held on because yeah. you didn't have anything else to hang on to. Yeah. And so your anchor to God, your mm-hmm. support system of people, were you open with other people about what was going on? How private were you? I was not private with my family, my mom and my dad. My sister lived close. My very closest friends, like a couple of them that kind of knew, they had been on the journey with me for 15 years. And so I was open with them just to kind of get their perspective and their understanding. But I wasn't super, I didn't blast it. I mean, Mm -hmm. people in my ward at church and stuff knew like, oh, she just moved here and she's going through a divorce, but they didn't understand the severity of the situation. But even before you moved, even when you were in Hawaii and things were really getting bad. Oh, I wasn't. I was super private. You were private. Super. About that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because obviously when something like a a, a separation happens, it's it's public now. Yeah. I mean, people don't see you together and, you know, it's a little different there, I I assume, because it's out of your hands now. Mm -hmm. But but when you're all together and I mean, even the week before everybody's supposed to come and you're, you know, I mean, what a, what a time to perform, right? right? I mean, if there's ever a time to put on a show and act like everything's fine and you, you drop the hammer a week before basically mm-hmm. and say like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then he escalates everything. Mm-hmm. How much did people know during that time? He did tell his family that came to visit for his graduation that we were separated, mm-hmm. but that was the extent of the knowledge that they knew. They didn't have any other They didn't details. know how bad it was. Mm-mm. And even our closest, closest friends in Hawaii had no idea. And my parents, and we had visitors all the time. We lived in Hawaii. Of course, people are going to come visit when they have a free place to stay. And I really encouraged visitors because I knew that when I had people in my home, he'd behave. He'd behave. Yeah. So we had visitors a lot and I never spoke a word to anybody. Okay. People would sometimes know like, oh yeah, it's kind of hard, but it's fine. Marriage is hard. Like, right. But again, thinking it was the same hard that, right. you know, you thought you were signing up for. Yeah. But I was very silent. To so how, pretty private. Yeah. Okay. And looking back on it now, like once you started to open up about it and you started to talk about it and bring in that support, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that was a huge change for you. Huge change. People gave me perspective and insight that I was like, wait, what? You saw that? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't see it for what it was. There was one time my my girlfriend that is the closest, my closest girlfriend, she just called me up one day and said, I'm buying you plane tickets. Like you're flying here, you and the kids, you're coming to my house. This is not okay. And I was like, no, it's fine. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, we'll just get through this and it's okay. And she was like, this is not okay. It is not okay that he is treating you this way. So you're coming to my house until we can figure something out. And I didn't let her. I was like, nope, it's okay. We're going to work through this. We're going to figure it out. So I think she could see things that I had no idea Mm -hmm. until once I stepped back and started opening up to people really, then I was really able to see the the forest through the trees. Yeah. Well, the magnitude of it. I mean, like you said, you're so close to it that it's easy to beat yourself up and think, oh, I should have seen that or whatever. But sometimes we don't see it until we start to open up and get support. And so, and I, I don't like to go back and say like, what would, what do you wish you would have done differently? Because mm-hmm. I, I absolutely believe people are doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And the, like you just are, you know, you're trying to make sense of it. Yeah. And I don't think people are, are trying to make things harder on themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just don't believe that. Yeah. And so what else? What else for you helped you through this process? We've talked about your relationship to God, your support system those were huge anchors for you. What else? Mm -hmm. 
I worked a lot on my self-worth. Okay. I started focusing on who am I and what do I want in this life and understanding my divine value. I am a daughter of God and my worth is not contingent on my worthiness. Heavenly Father loves me infinitely regardless of my choices and learning to love myself and be forgiving of myself. And because although I've talked a lot about his mistakes in our marriage, I absolutely wasn't perfect too. Like there were things that I did and emotions and things that I contributed that were also not awesome. And so for me to be forgiving of myself and be able to look at myself in a really raw way and overcome that and learn that and be able to work on myself and make those changes in myself, but then learning to love myself and recognizing that I have value beyond what I ever could comprehend. Right. That's so huge because like you said, that started getting whittled, kind of whittled down from the beginning. Well, it started at zero and then I got whittled down beyond that. So, yeah. Yeah. You mean kind of growing up with your beliefs about your worthiness and goodness mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You're saying like you had a lot of like misunderstandings about how God saw you or who you were as a woman, as yeah. a girl mm-hmm. growing up. And then as you got into adulthood, then that collision of, of him just taking advantage of that mm-hmm. just took it all the way to where you felt like you were just worthless. Yeah. And I don't think that I was taught Heavenly Father's mad at you if you make mm-hmm. bad choices. I think that was just my own innate belief system of, well, I'm mad at myself, so Heavenly Father must be mad at me. And so, but really fixing that mindset of yeah. how much Heavenly Father loves me yeah. regardless. Yeah. No, I know. I With my kids, sometimes they'll, they'll say things like, you know, I believe this thing, whatever. I'm like, who taught you that? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And they'll be like, I don't, you know, one of my, one of my sons is like, no, like, I don't think you taught me that. Dad. I'm like, I promise you, son, I've, I, I know I've exactly. never explicitly taught you that. Now, if you got that message some other way, let's have that conversation. Right. But, but yeah, I know I, I get it. There's a lot of times we, we internalize beliefs and, and things get sideways, mm-hmm. but for you really untangling that and getting clear on what is true about you. Yeah. Was huge. Getting to know myself and getting to know my savior. Mm -hmm. Getting to know and understand that my heavenly father and Jesus Christ are not mean. They're not punishing me because like, and getting to know them personally really, of course, changed all of that. Yeah. So, and then I think the last thing that really helped me through my hard times was hope. Wow. I had hope for a better life. I had hope for a better future. I couldn't envision it. I couldn't imagine what it would look like. But I knew that I was on this earth for a purpose and I knew I was raising four sons and I know that they have a lot of potential. I see their personalities and their strengths and I know that they're doing things with their lives. And so I had hope that we would not be in this dark place forever. Wow. Yeah. So like looking at your kids and kids do that for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, they give us a reason to keep going and living even when we don't maybe value ourselves enough. But you you were looking at this and thinking this has to get better. This can get better. There's something on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the promptings that I received was during the journey was this is not for nothing. Oh, wow. You're learning these lessons for a reason. Oh, wow. Like you could even almost kind of hold on to some purpose in this. Like in the moment of the hard. Really? Yeah. It was a moment where he was getting handcuffed and thrown in a cop car. And the kids were all there. We all saw the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Like there was a big situation. Talk about a low point. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. like inside just crying, like, Heavenly Father, what the heck? Yeah, like, right. how am I supposed to get through this? And why are we here? And the prompting and the inspiration was, this is for a purpose. Like your kids and you are learning. Like there's a reason why you need to be here right now. So unexpected. So unexpected. Wow. But feeling the presence of the spirit 
throughout even the darkest moments was like, okay, if you're aware of me, then I can get through this. Right. And that's, I mean, that's especially when we need them. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like this, you like literally couldn't have written a worse script for mm-hmm. like how hard things could be mm-hmm. watching, you know, your, your husband and your kid's father, like getting hauled off. And mm-hmm. I mean, just, just the hopelessness, but then to have it just flip on you and say like, there's purpose in this good things will happen. Like that's probably just like, what? Yeah. And it's unfathomable in that moment. You cannot fathom the purpose for this. Girl, this is literally the worst ending. Yes. (laughs) Like how can this get any better? Right. But also knowing that's not the ending, right? Knowing that this isn't the end of my story. Yeah, right. That there is more. And that's important right there. I love what you just said there. Like that in those dark moments to have some reassurance that this is not the end of my story. Mm -hmm. That is so critical. And I'm in control now. Mm -hmm. I left that relationship that I didn't have any control and now I'm in control and I get to choose. And right. I choose to have my home filled with the gospel and filled with love and laughing and joy. Mm-hmm. And so what can I do to bring that into my home? Even when life is so hard, I can still control the atmosphere and we can still express gratitude and we can still be appreciative for the things that we have, even when we can't control the crazy that's going on around us. Were there ever times in your your first marriage to your husband, like to your ex-husband, like where where you felt like you guys were working together, that things were actually improving, that there was some hope at all. Yeah. There were times like that. Yeah. Yeah. There were times where I told you that there were a couple of times where I was like Googling divorce. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is the end. And we would have big conversations and I'm like, I need more from you. And he would say, I need more from you. And so then we would work on it and we would, we went to counseling for years and we tried everything. We were doing what we could to really just make it work. And there were times where I was like, yeah, this is worth it going to work. But then something would spiral or something would happen. And he was dealing with mental health issues. He was dealing with addiction. He was dealing with a lot. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be the supportive wife that was going to help him through his mental health issues and his addiction. And I tried really hard to really be loving and understanding and supportive. And that gave me the hope that, yeah, we can work through this because I'm willing to work through the hard. Yeah. But then you started to see the cycles. Yes. And that's where you get enough of those back to back and it's like, okay. And the cycles, yes, but also the spiral. And the spiral was down so fast that it got to the point where I was like, all of a sudden, I'm aware of the boiling water on the frog. Like, oh, I'm in boiling water right now. Like, if I don't get out, I will die. So the cycles were happening, but but it was almost like, I mean, is it, is it sort of like each cycle then would actually go deeper into a spiral? Like it just got darker? Not always. Sometimes it would cycle, there was kind of like a baseline average and it would cycle above and below this like average line. Uh Yeah. But it was the last few years that the spirals were spiraling downward, which is why I think I stayed for so long. Like it wasn't getting worse. It wasn't getting better, but it wasn't getting worse until it was. And I was like, I know what our life looks like. I know what these cycles look like and I'm willing to endure that. I'm willing to stay together for the kids and because we got sealed in the temple and that was the commitment that I made. And you're like, yeah, it's kind of crappy, but like it's averaging out. It's hard and it's not fun and I'm not happy, but I'm going to find my happiness in this journey and I'm going to make it work. Right. Until it became dangerous. Until it became dangerous. Right. And it spiraled so hard and so fast and so dark to the point where I was like, he was hiding drinking for years. He was no longer hiding it. He's now putting vodka in his coffee cup at the dinner table when we're eating with the kids with no shame and no guilt and was like, nope, this is the new normal. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And that's just one example of yeah. just the things that were changing. And I wasn't, I was no longer willing to put up with it. Right. 
and just in my experience, like things don't ever just stay level, no, right? Like right. they're either going to improve or they're going to get worse. And mm-hmm. so obviously he, he let it get worse. Yeah. And yeah. And so I, I, again, I, I think it's easy to listen to your story and think like, oh my gosh, like it was a nightmare from day one. And it's not like that. No. It's it was hard. Like there were red flags, but yeah. there were also good times. Right, right. We had a lot of really happy days and happy memories, and we loved to adventure and explore. And our social media lives were excellent because <laughs> it looked like everything was great. Yeah. But yeah. you never know what's going on behind closed doors. No. Oh, my goodness. For sure. Until it all comes off the rails. And yeah. Then. And so, it, it, you know, as as people are listening to this, and, you know, I'm sure that you know, we had a group of of people going through similar situations or confusing situations like this. What would you want them to know as you kind of sit back and now, you know, now with the perspective and you're in a safe place, you're in a loving relationship, everybody's, you know, the dust is sort of settled and you're working through regular stuff in life. Now you're not in survival mode. Looking back, like what do you tell women who might find themselves back, you know, in where maybe you were three, five years ago or whatever, you know, what would you want them to know? I think the first message is just the message that I wish I would have known was twofold. I wish I would have known how much my Savior loved me and knew me and was intimately aware of me as an individual. Hmm. And I wish I would have loved myself. I think if I would have understood my own self-worth earlier, my whole life would have been different. Like in a concrete way, what would those two things have changed for you back then? Now that you see what they can do for you now, what what do you think they would have done? I would have had the courage to stand up for myself sooner. I would have had the courage to not be manipulated in the way that he manipulated me, like to just flat out call him on what I saw, but I was too embarrassed or ashamed or I felt too, I felt very intimidated by him. And so I didn't stand up to him. And I wish if I would have understood my self-worth and like how much value I intrinsically have as a human being, I felt, I feel like I would have maybe stood up to him more instead of just letting him treat me the way that he treated me. Like in some ways, like what he was able to abuse you with and manipulate with was, was your worth. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Right? And so if you had had those anchors of no God and the savior, like they love me and they know me and they've got my back and they mm-hmm. care deeply about me. And I also can choose to like see the truth and who I am. Like those things would have been so protective for you. Yeah. And just slicing through a lot of the manipulation and and abuse around just who you are and what you're worth. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So protective. Yeah. Because that's what ultimately got you to safety. Mm -hmm. Well, and I was willing to be honest with myself. I was willing to be honest with, instead of those filters originally that I came into the marriage with of, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not going to be loved by anybody else, like all those things that just kind of started the foundation of our marriage on he's the head of the household and I'm going to support him because he's smarter than me. And he, like, I just kind of, I didn't know who I was. And so I let him toss me around emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I believed the words that he said because I did trust him and I did respect him, but I didn't know that he was earning my trust and respect through very manipulative ways. I couldn't see that because I personally did not know that I had more value than that, which right. is so sad. And saying those words is so hard for me. Is it? And looking back, it's so hard because I'm like, what? what was I thinking? Like, yeah. I was taught differently than that, but I still just struggled so hard. Like, I did find my value in how many friends I had or if I had a boyfriend or like those were the things that I was measuring myself against, mm-hmm. which now as a grown adult, I'm like so embarrassed to say those things, but I feel like that's my truth. That was my story. And if I would have understood, that I had so much more than I 
would have I would have set myself up for a, a very different life. Yeah. So I'm guessing for you a lot of a lot of work just even now on self compassion is oh, huge. Yeah. Yes. Right. Even yeah. as you're talking through it with me right now, it's just like, all right, go easy on myself. Yep. Like regular, right? Just <laughs> yep. be gentle. Yeah. Because yeah, you can see it now with the clarity that mm-hmm. growth and maturity has. I mean, I'm the same way, right? We we look back and wish we could put our arm around that younger version yes. of ourselves and just say, Hey, here's a couple of things you might want to know. <laughs> yes. Well, and I've been through lots of therapy. Uh-huh. The kids have been through therapy. Like I think that we're all we all have things to learn and grow. And unfortunately, that was one of the lessons I needed to learn. Yeah. But I've I've learned and I'm still learning it. So Yeah. No, I, I really, I really appreciate your perspective on this because a lot of times people in these situations, when abuse is happening, especially, and obviously, you know, the last few years got really, really bad and dark. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, you know, it was, you know, 10 years of of trying and struggling and like you said, putting up with stuff that you look back now and be like, oh, red flags, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that you don't have to tolerate even that, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's like, it's sure. like, get clear, speak up, value your worth, recognize you do get to have an equal voice and contribution. And it's okay to be able to put your foot down and say, I'm not okay with these patterns. I'm not okay with these things and expect something to change. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think each of the things individually alone wouldn't have been enough to get divorced over. But and like years ago, I'd be like, okay, well, this sucks, but that's not enough to divorce him over. Like, I just yeah. need to figure this out. And this whole narrative, I feel like I sound like, oh, I was looking for a divorce the whole time. I wasn't. I was really trying so hard to make my marriage work. Oh, I don't were, think that. Yeah, I think there it's were very three clear. Times that I was like, okay, no, no, no. Um, yeah. I think it's clear you were trying. But individually, there were things that those alone would not have warranted needing to get a divorce. Right. But all of them stacked on top of each other was absolutely harmful. Yeah. And I didn't see them as a collective. I saw them as individuals, like this one thing and this one thing and this one thing. And those individually are not enough. And so it's okay. I can still stay. But I didn't see them under the umbrella of abuse. And I think that probably processing a lot of this stuff alone by yourself without any outside input made it harder. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because you have all the blind spots and all the self-talk. Because I, I imagine at some level, if somebody's listening to this and they're just like, you know, oh, I'm not sure if it's healthy or not, or if it's a whatever, like at that point, I'm guessing, you know, you would have been like, well, yeah, like talk to someone, like go alone, talk to someone alone and sort out your experience and try and figure out, are these patterns healthy? Are that, they not? That is something I wish right? I would have done. Yeah. We did five or six or seven years of marriage counseling. Right. And I wish I would have done individual counseling. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have taken the time to talk to a professional to say, hey, this is my experience. This is what I'm going through. And not for them to say, yeah, these are all abusive things. I need you to go get a divorce. Like I want to still be the one to make my ultimate decisions for my life. But to have someone's perspective, even if I would have opened up to my mom and just been like, okay, this is really what's happening. Like genuinely coming to her or a therapist or someone for like more perspective because I didn't have the perspective on my own. I know. And it's so tricky because I mean, as a marriage counselor, like a lot of the time, as a marriage counselor, I'm, I'm sitting with people and I recognize that there's painful patterns going on. There's harm. There's sometimes even harmful things that, you know, I work with a lot of people that are dealing with addictions or affairs or really hardcore stuff that like could each be a deal breaker by mm-hmm. themselves. And yet people are coming because they're wanting to save the relationship. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times I, I see a lot of therapists make this mistake and I've certainly made it in the past too. And it just breaks my heart, which is that a lot of the times we don't call it for what it is. We don't just say, look, this is an abusive pattern or this is not 
we can't do marriage work if these things are still ongoing. And a lot of times that stuff's hard to smoke out in, in couples work because it's looked at as like, oh, two people that just aren't getting along. Right. When really it's one person who's actively undermining the commitment and the safety in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's easy to miss if the therapist isn't looking for it or isn't trained in how to see it. And so that's where some individual work can be helpful to, to go in and be able to speak freely and openly and honestly about what's happening for you and then be able to sort it. And I love what you said, which is not to go f- meet with somebody individually so that they can just say, well, you need to leave this guy. This is mm-hmm. horrible. But to empower you to be able to think clearly about it. And then you can go back and set limits and say, hey, wait a second, what you're doing is abusive and I'm not going to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. But also for a therapist to tell me like, or a professional, whatever, like yeah. someone to tell me, hey, your self-worth is kind of shot. Like, what can you do to build yourself up? Because that too would have been so powerful for me. And like, what do you need? Yeah. Like, how are you doing? Like, how can I become a better person? Despite my marriage, despite this current circumstance, I want to become a better person and overcome my weaknesses. My weakness was my self-worth. Yeah, it's so easy to get lost in the marriage, even deeper, lose yourself trying to save it instead of just coming up for air and saying, what do I even think? or feel or need, or how do I see myself? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some important pieces there. So I really appreciate you taking some time and coming in here to talk about this because these experiences, like, you know, like, you know, for so long are just, they're private. People don't talk about them. People just often suffer so, so quietly in isolation. Yeah. And so I just really appreciate your courage and your willingness to, to come on here and talk about this so openly and share your experience. Thank you. And to me, it has so much, I don't know, so much, I don't know, credibility because it's not like you went from like, you know, a marriage that was struggling a little bit. And then all of a sudden you just had this wonderful, happy life. Like you went down into the valley of the shadow of death. Like you went (laughs) so deep into it and stayed there for a long time Mm -hmm. and tried to find your way out of it and were actively being pursued and abused. And, Mm -hmm. and so to find light and to feel hope and to feel God's love and companionship and all these things in those dark times, it's remarkable to me. Thank you. It's remarkable and it's it's hopeful and I think people need to hear that. that this you. is not some shallow stuff here mm-hmm. that you can feel hopeful, you can feel and you can get answers and direction and guidance in the worst circumstances. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, there were days where I was literally in the fetal position on the ground, can't breathe, bawling, can't talk. My mom has to come get my kids because I cannot function. And those days I didn't feel hope. Those were the days that I was like, I don't know how I'm going to survive even through tomorrow. I just like, I'm broken. Yeah. But then waking up the next morning and realizing like, okay, it's a new day. There's something good can happen today. And just keeping that outlook of gratitude and positivity and hope, even when there's literally no way forward that you can see, but Christ can see it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm glad that you said that. Cause I mean, I, as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm not imagining that it was just this unbroken stream of hope the whole time yeah. <laughs> that you had definitely days where it was like, I just want to be done. I can't even imagine another foot forward. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and just realizing that Christ is always there and my faith is the bridge to Christ. I can have faith and he's right there, or I cannot have faith and he's not there. But if I have faith and hope that he's there, then he is. That's how you get to him. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you, Kim. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing this. And I hope those of you listening have been able to get some clarity and some hope just in your own story or for someone that you love. And maybe maybe we can just end here, Kim. I have a lot of people that listen to this podcast who maybe aren't finding themselves in this situation, but they have a loved one who is, or they're in a support role. Mm-hmm. 
what were the things that made the biggest difference for you and those who were on the outside trying to help out, watching, in some cases, totally powerless to do mm-hmm. anything, right? They couldn't stop this thing from happening. What was yeah. helpful? I think just being a good listener. And I think sometimes people listen and then try to offer advice or support when yeah. they have no idea. Oh, yeah. And I think just being a listener and being a vessel to receive their emotions and not be the one to say, oh, this is all going to get better and you'll, you're will you going to be stronger because of this trial. And But just listen and be like, oh, that really sucks. I am so sorry. And if they're a hugger, then give them a hug and (laughs) give them the emotional support that they need without trying to fix it because you can't be the one to fix it, but you can be the one to support them and let them feel your love. I love that that visual of a vessel that they can just receive it and hold it with you. Hold it safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Powerful. Well, I could talk all day to you, (laughs) but I know we need to wrap up here. So thank you again. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Kim for joining us on the podcast today. Such an inspiring story. And I just am so grateful for how honest and real she is about her experiences. She doesn't sugarcoat any of it and lets us know that even though our worst case scenario may happen, we still can choose healing. And I just love that so much. So thanks, Kim. Thanks for spending time with me in the studio and sharing your incredible story with all of us. And I want to thank all of you for being here every single week. It's a real honor to share this time with you. And I'm just grateful for your comments, your inspiration, just the feedback you give me all the time. I hear from a lot of you and it really means a lot to me. So yeah, send me a DM, contact me on my website. I love knowing what's working for you and what you need. You can find me at fromcrisistoconnection.com. I'm on social media as well and just love interacting with my audience. And if you have topic ideas or guests or books or other things you'd like me to cover or review, I'd love to hear those things. So pass them along. And as always, Feel free to leave a rating or a review wherever you do that on your podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. People need to find this information. We have some incredible guests and I want people to know about them. You could really make a difference in somebody's life. And perhaps somebody shared this podcast with you. So spread the word. There's a lot of people out there that are going through challenging things like Kim and others who could really use some good resources and support. Thanks again for being here, guys. And I'll catch all of you in the next episode.